This episode is brought to you by Wellforce, offering business consulting and IT solutions for the hybrid workforce. Online at wellforce.ai. Thank you for listening to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit girlswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Oh, hello. And welcome to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. I'm Jenny Mitchell. I am Sarah Madras. And this is a show where you come as you are with the courage to speak up and tell a better story. And today in the studio virtually, we have my friend Serena Myers. Y'all, she's been so excited oh, about <laughs> texting me. I want to invite my friends here. Okay. You can invite, totally. When you meet somebody and you're like, oh my God, you're a beautiful soul. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That is her. Oh, yes. that's yes. like such a ringing endorsement. Oh, it's true. That is really sweet, actually. <laughs> Welcome. So Serena Myers, tell our audience about you. I'm a friend of Sarah's, but aside from that, I'm also um, a coach who helps recovering people pleasers get raw, real, and honest about how they truly feel. But in particular with the uncozy emotions like anger and resentment and guilt and all of that kind of stuff that comes with being a people pleaser. Yeah, that's kind of my, that's my world basically. Mm-hmm. And she's got lots of magical skills. What kind of magical yeah. skills? I mean, I talk to angels for a living, so that's where it all begins. But I bring a lot of ceremony and ritual to my life. I work with the moon cycles. Yeah, I do. I do Akashic Records work, which is all about like soul level learning and teaching and healing. It's, it's, a, it's a little magical over here. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. We like woo. And we, yeah, we dabble in the woo. Mm-hmm. So we love and embrace magic. But my like magic skills probably here and Zarina's magic skills like way up here. Like she lives like we like the woo. She lives in it. Oh, yes. Okay. She is it. Yes. She, she embodies the woo. Yes. Yeah. I can get behind that. Hell yeah. Yep. She's amazing. Yeah. You do you, boo. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's too confusing with woo. The woo, the woo. <laughs> You do you woo boo. Yes. Uh, you do the you woo boo. You do woo boo. <laughs> you do woo boo. <laughs> it's a... While wearing foo boo. <laughs> uh, hopefully, oh, Damon John doesn't give us like a license royalty. Like <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get in trouble. Our energy work and yeah. angels and and what I love is her new book is called Sacred Anger and. Because we are in alignment of feelings are neither good nor bad. They're just feelings and we don't judge our feelings. But the rest of our culture is not like that. And no. so a lot of times people view anger as bad. As a negative emotion. Yeah. And, taboo and control your anger. Yeah. And, and and following up on our last conversation, our last recorded episode where we were talking about my own mental health that, and my and a lot of that anxiety and panic came from unresolved anger. Oh, so this is perfect episode. Stop. We're not like I'm. All right. So I remember sitting in Wendy's office, the therapist Wendy's office and going, yeah, I don't get angry. And then a year later when she called me out and she was like, do you remember when you sat here and you were like, you don't get angry? And I was like, yeah, she's do you get angry now? And I was like, just like I learned I had to learn how to feel it appropriately. For myself. That's interesting because with my session with Valerie last week, she was like, stop trying to control your anger. And we know I have problems with trying to micromanage the fucking universe. Okay. Like I'm not blind to that. Y'all. Well, but my experience was I would let the anger come out 
and it's not pretty and Explosive it is destructive mm-hmm. to those around me and I don't want to be that person. And so then I went from that end of the spectrum, like the pendulum swung yep. to now I'm going to be in command of myself and I'm going to basically repress it, but then that repressing turns into resentment and that's where the low hum right. come. And she and was mine like, came, and mine turned into anxiety and panic. Right. And she was like, just hang out in the middle where you can speak things mm-hmm. kindly. And she said, Sarah, you're not an asshole. I know you're capable of, of talking and speaking your truth kindly of what you need. And she's like, the reason it explodes is because you don't speak it when it first happens. Do you remember when you and me and, and Diane were standing there and we were talking about Right. (laughs) Throat chakras. Yes. Around the fact that you couldn't understand why that would be blocked because you both are. And I was like, because you're always trying to limit what you say so that you sound. So we're being polite because I want to be kind. I don't want to be destructive. But then that blocks. But then it blocks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just saying. So Serena. That's all I had to say about that. Fix us. (laughs) You don't need to fix. I think you guys have it figured out. The very fact that you don't see anger as something that you need to get rid of or control or manage, like anger management is a term that just makes my skin crawl. The fact that you don't take it off the table, I think is the number one thing that we need to do. It took me 20 years to learn that. (laughs) So it wasn't always there. To believe that. Exactly. We've been told to be nice. And I feel like nice is the curse of the modern woman. It is the thing that really gets in the way of us chasing our dreams, of speaking up, of honoring ourselves. You guys were talking about self-care in the other episode. We don't prioritize ourselves because we're so busy taking care of everybody else because that's what nice girls do. Mm -hmm. I use air quotes every time I say nice because that's a word that is also... But it's that misconception um, that women are supposed to walk around smiling, happy people like Stepford wives. Mm -hmm. Totally. And to do that would be to have no personality, to have no agency, to have no say-so. That doesn't sound like a life that's worth living to me. Different if it makes you really happy to do that, like 100%, that's who you are. But I would say most of us aren't one-dimensional. We're complex beings and we have a whole range of emotions and we want to show up in these different ways. And so we have to almost rebel against everything that we've learned from our parents, from society, from religion, from culture and ads and everything. We have to rebel against all of that to just want to show up as we are. And then, of course, the emotions that come out of that, that's something we've got to deal with, too. And anger happens to be one of those. Mm -hmm. And, okay, let me ask you this, because what just popped into my head was things that I say to my kids. So I say to my kids, it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to hit. Or it's okay to be upset. It's not okay. Like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Setting that boundary. But then at the same time, I'll ask them, I'll go, is that helpful? Is that kind? So if they stole something from their brother or whatever, and I'll be like, or they said something rude, I'll go, is that helpful? And I'll go, no. Is that kind? No. And so I'm like, then don't do the behavior. And But then I'm going, but wait, am I teaching them to, to just be nice? Help me unpack that. So I don't think you are because I do think we need to factor in wherever possible where what we can do is helpful and kind. But... <laughs> We can't do it at the compromising of ourselves and what we feel and what we even want for ourselves. When I'm fighting with my spouse, I will even say, I'm really sorry for how I said that, but I'm not sorry for how I feel. Oh, that's good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The emotions should never be something that, that, that that we are sorry for because they're natural, they're normal. And we need to, much in the way that we're destigmatizing conversations around mental health, we need to do the same thing about just putting all the emotions on the table. I married a Brit. So there's always a lot of, I'm sorry. And then they'll say how they feel, but it's, you don't have to start it off with, I'm sorry. Yes. 
just say how you feel. Like, yes. that's okay. All your feelings are valid. Yeah, yes. they're all welcome to the table. Oh, like, I we just say that all the time in our house. I'm like, mm-hmm. stop apologizing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm starting to get angry because you are like starting everything with saying you're sorry. You've done nothing wrong. There, right. you only need to apologize when you have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And how do you know if it's wrong? If it's not right, if, if it's it, hurtful, if, if it's hurt, harmful, yes. if it's destructive. If it had a negative impact on somebody right. else or you. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you can say maybe it might fit. Like we just overuse this apology mindset that we live in. And especially as women, my God, we have to apologize for, for all taking the up things. space. Just for taking Just for existing. Mm-hmm. I remember I was on a flight and I might have even had Lennox. I might have had him strapped in when I was carrying, mm-hmm. uh, wearing him. And... You know how you have to get your luggage? It was a carry-on and I had to get it up there. And so I was causing a block in the line. And it was a guy, it was the first one behind me. And then there's people sitting. Not a single person got up. Not the guy behind me did not say, hey, do you need me to help you put nothing? And I was feeling that anxiety yeah. of, oh my God, I'm holding it up. I'm causing, like people are getting, fr-. and I felt it. And then I was just like, Whew. and I said, thank you so much for being patient and waiting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I had an opposite experience when I was on a flight with Samantha when she was six months old and I was wearing her. Mm -hmm. Um, I had all the things I had like they pulled me out of my seat because a guy in first class saw me come in and gave up his seat for me. (gasps) Like they came back into coach and pulled me up into first class and I thanked him as he exited. He said, Somebody did the same thing for my wife. I'm just paying it forward. Oh, I when she was traveling with her baby. And then on the flight, on the return flight, it was like, it, it takes a village. It was a party in the back of the plane as we were trying, everybody was trying to get her. No one was making a sound. Mm-hmm. I was walking around, walking up and down. They would take, they would give me a thumbs up if her eyes started to close or they'd right. be like, mm, no. <laughs> Keep like, walking. <laughs> it was, it was such a validating mm-hmm. and because I did, I was feeling that the entire way. I had the stroller, I had, and everything was carry on. So I had the gate check stroller. I had my, my approved size luggage yep. for the, it was just, yeah. 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 Serena, what are the messages you grew up hearing about anger? Oh, we didn't talk about it. It was just a very explosive household. So no one ever apologized for anything. No one even expressed they were angry. They just blew up. And there were, and mm-hmm. then after the death settled, there was no conversation. It was like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And I always liken it to a pressure cooker where it's like you let off the steam, but you don't actually resolve the issue. So then we kept having explosions about the exact yep. same thing all the time because it's not actually being dealt with. The nervous system is engaged the whole time because you never know what's going to happen. They're always producing adrenaline. That's where the cortisol comes from and the, you know. Yeah. And it makes Mm -hmm. me think of this week's This Is Us. I'm just saying one thing. Just (laughs) relax. Calm down. It's not a spoiler. I've been reading this week, so I haven't been watching my show. Calm down. Where Jack says that as a kid, he and his brother would be playing and at five o'clock they would feel that tension in their chest and it was like the air was sucked out of the room because they knew in 15 minutes their dad's car was going to pull up and that he was alcoholic with explosive anger. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So no spoilers. No more spoilers. That was it. I promise. So Serena, for you to grow up in that environment and, and inherently know Hey, this isn't healthy. This there's another a better way. What was your healing journey when it comes to anger? And basically, because would you say like dancing with it, becoming friends with it? What would you say it is? 
So now I would say it's dancing with it. I talk about like finding our own rhythms and being able to dance with anger and then eventually have another pan- like partner up the dance floor as well. It doesn't always have to be anger, the one that is that's the one you're dancing with. My journey was actually really slow because I moved out. I just ended up finding new ways mm-hmm. to find different levels of hardship, which was really just finding new ways to grow the chip that was on my shoulder. So I was really resentful. I think that's probably the emotion I embodied the most. And I was really guarded. And in a lot of ways, my spiritual path is what helped with the anger. I had to face all of the emotions and all of the stories that I'd created. And some of them are rooted in truth, but a lot of them was rooted in assumption. And uh, I think it was a lot of time, a lot of nurturing, a lot of willingness to sit Mm -hmm. in that discomfort. And that's what sort of brought forward everything else. And we cannot let her off the show without her telling us at least a few stories about her previous job when she was a a phone sex operator. What? Yes. Yes. Way to bury the fucking lead, sir. We're talking about important stuff right now. We have to save that fun stuff. She has not mentioned it (laughs) at all. Ever. She wanted to surprise you in the way you wanted to surprise her today. Yes, Serena. That's my girl. (laughs) Actually, you know what? It's wonderful that you brought that up because there is a segue into the funny part of it. And that is that there is nothing quite like being a phone sex operator to lose who you are, to pass off your agency and to actually have to become somebody else. So Mm -hmm. we talked about like the Stepford expectation that we have on women. Phone sex operators do that for a living. And I feel like for me, like with the benefit of hindsight, doing it when I was like 20, 20, 22 or so, that was like a really formative time in my life about my identity as a woman Mm -hmm. and really who am I and how do I want to show up in this world? And I started that journey with becoming somebody else Mm. every day, multiple times a day. So it's actually, it was a really big contributor to being angry. And the job I had before that, I was realizing this in the shower this morning, the job I had before that, I was sexually harassed every day. Like I was felt up by my boss. I would write to my union, nothing happened. So there was already that sense of this isn't my body anyway. It's already up for grabs. So to become a phone sex operator was actually less invasive in a lot of ways. Right, right. So I have a That's question That's such a that. good point. Okay. I have a question though. I don't know if y'all saw recently there was the woman in California whose kids were expelled from their Catholic school because she had an OnlyFans account where she would take and not nudes. They were not nudes, but like her husband, she and her husband were having intimacy issues. They used this as a way to build back their intimacy and she created it. They're making $150,000 a month on OnlyFans. It was, it became income plus empowerment for her that they, she would just take pictures in lingerie and be like a MILF. Great. I totally get the, the side, the objectifying side of this, but I also wonder if there is room for the, in the conversation for women to reclaim and not, I mean, it's, and there's so much more to this, right? That the reason that her her kids were expelled was because one of the fathers of other kids in the school found her on OnlyFans and showed his wife. And then sh- the wife made it her mission to completely. There's so many different layers there, but I think it why can does, go on. So why does, okay, because I'm obviously all about claiming your body and yeah. owning your body and claiming your sexuality. Mm-hmm. For me, what I don't understand, and so maybe this is a good place to safe place to openly ask the question. I can't make the connection between that and doing it publicly. Like, I don't understand that of by 
I can reclaim my body by wearing lingerie and being sexy and sensual mm-hmm. in my space. Why do I then? Why? Because to me, it's outside validation. And that's what I don't believe in. Internal validation of mm-hmm. I feel sexy. I'm understanding my body. I'm claiming my body. That makes sense to me. When you are only claiming your body because of external stimuli of other people watching you. And now I'm making $150,000 a month on this. And so now blah, blah, that is not healthy to me because it's based on external. Unless it's not about the attention from the outside people. It's the ability to provide for her family in this way. Mm -hmm. And it's the whatever sizzle it brought back to her marriage. I I can't speak for them. I don't know. But I agree that if the number one driving thing, if she feels empowered because it's only because of outside validation, that's not really true empowerment. But, But if it's this, if it's this is a way that I can show up for my family and provide for them and take care of them. Well, that's a totally different. Right. It turned into that, but I like. Mm-hmm. For, and again, like this was just reading a couple articles about it. But that's and that's basically what she said. She's this should not be any. This is not a big deal. This was our thing that got turned into something else because mm-hmm. other people couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, and to punish the kids for what the, the parents are doing right. isn't fair either. Mm-hmm. Right. I also think there's a big difference between the empowerment that comes from something like only OnlyFans and then what I did as a phone sex operator. Because with OnlyFans, you are yourself or whatever persona that you've put up and then people are paying to engage with that. Yeah. Whereas in the case of a phone sex operator, they're not paying to engage with you. They're paying to engage with the fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so the person behind it has to just become that fantasy as opposed to being paid to be who they are. So they would... All right. I'm just curious now. <laughs> this is just a pure curiosity question. So like people would call in and say, I want to have a, what I want her to pretend that she's a playboy bunny and talk to me like, and spank me with her. Yes. Okay. Except it wasn't ever pretend because that's also part of the illusion. Right. So they would call into an operator and they would say, I'm looking for this. And then the operator would call me and say, he's looking for this. And then they'd connect the call and we'd talk. And sometimes it was so specific. Like, I remember one guy who used to call in and his he had such a specific preference, but he didn't want to talk to the same person every time. So I talked to him easily 20, 30 times with a different description and a different name, but it was the same voice. Right. Like he had to know that we didn't have, like, his particular specificity in, like, an infinite supply. That's just not realistic. And then tell me again for you. Because you said for you it tied into the anger. Tell me right. more about the, the, that. The sexual harassment then tied into, like, the anger about yeah. that then tied, yes. It, it was, there was, because I could never really feel like myself, I also felt like I had a really big secret. Like, that it was something that I was ashamed of. I was doing it while I was putting myself through college. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, my classmates ended up finding out. And... I was in radio school. So they'd be like, oh, we have a sexy commercial. Let's get Serena to read. And I was like, okay, but I also do accents. I also do characters. I also do all these other things. And I became really pigeonholed. So not only was like my work life very much like you don't get to have an identity, then my school life was like, oh, and by the way, you're going to show up without an identity. Mm. So it was really this loss of self. And I think that paired with the chip on the shoulder I already had really contributed to just me not liking people very much for a really long time and not trusting anybody. What's mm-hmm. your favorite voice to do? What's your favorite character to to imitate? I, I think now it's probably like the <laughs> voice I used to talk to my cats. That is that so is, funny. Is, all right, share please with the world what voice you use to talk to your cats. That is not nice. You're not my friend anymore. <laughs> Which let me just say that didn't show up in the phone sex calls. Yeah. Because that would have been super weird. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. That's oh, so that's funny. The-
best. These are oh. such like it, it's becoming so clear. Those are such great examples of how it's such a separation of self and and that's them putting an identity on you rather than you being mm-hmm. able to claim what your identity is for you and that multi multifaceted identity, not just this singular yeah. 2D. Yeah. And I think in many ways, it's almost an exaggerated version of what happens to women anyway from society and the media and everything else, Uh because we're still being projected to be something that maybe we're not. But in this case, we're doing, in the case of my work, I was doing it for money and and I was doing it multiple times a day. It was like having to have all these different personas. Mm -hmm. It, It was definitely like an amplified version of what it was like to be a woman, especially a woman in your 20s anyway. But it was hefty. Sometimes it was very funny. And it was definitely convenient to do um, when you're in college and you've got like radio responsibilities and a job and you can fit it in between everything else, Mm -hmm. which was nice. It's not a nine to five. I want to go back to what she just said, though, about like how it fit into what you would be doing anyway as a woman in your early 20s. Or even I think it, it it can translate to any age that you are expected to fulfill to fill multiple personas that the uh, the assumption is that you're going to be what the room needs you to be, not who you are. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that? So as women, and I think men experience the insecurities as well, because I know that I've had this conversation at home and, and with some other friends that like, uh, male friends, that it's when you are, especially if you are a small business owner, especially if you're trying to, are a sales professional and you're trying, you have a reason, right? You have a purpose for having this interaction or showing up where you show up. And then you like, you bend in, into what the situation calls for. I don't know that the people with whom I worked at the hospital at my, in my, when I was on site would like, I don't know if they'd be surprised by what they see on social media and who I am outside of that environment or if they would understand it because I feel like the person that I became when I was working there was so different than who I actually am. Okay. So then what about that environment made you feel like you had to become that other person? Oh, there's so many things we don't have time to unpack. Okay. But I think, but that's the point, right? Like, is that there, there are, there's external pressures, there's internal pressures there and, and reasons. So like Serena's talking about as having to embody multiple personas throughout the day at work, at a supplemental job, at school, like how do we end up believing that's the norm? I don't know if I understand. Okay. Are you understanding Serena? I think I do. Like, because we're wearing all these different hats and none of them are truly us, we're actually the bare head. So then it's, where did we learn that it was our responsibility to wear the hats? And why do we choose to do that? She articulated that much more clearly than I did. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, but I was riffing off of what you said already. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I I have the words, but I also hire a copywriter. Other women doing, though, when we're growing up. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we're seeing them do the same things. I remember my mom could be like getting really mad at us and then the phone would ring and she'd be like, hello. Right. You know what I mean? And it was like, you were raging two seconds ago. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. About. Yeah. 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 Okay. So like what, what women did you see growing up that would change their persona? Did you ever have that belief that you had to be a different persona in different situations? You had to wear a different hat? I think there's a difference between knowing the room and being a different persona. So for me, I would, 
because I would look at the room and know the room, I wouldn't curse in one room, but I would curse in another. Right. Cursing mm-hmm. is a part of who I am, but I'm also going to be thoughtful and respectful to whatever the that norm is. Yep. And so I think that's one thing versus, oh, in this friend group, I'm going to act this way. In this friend group, I'm going to act that way. Mm-hmm. That is, that's out of alignment with me just because I it was I sucked when I was in drama club because I couldn't do it. It just felt you so, were in drama club, yeah, mm-hmm. and no different things. And, oh yeah, yeah. Or even in Spanish class, I sucked at Spanish because I felt like if I was sitting there trying to roll my R's, that I was trying to be somebody I'm not, like, and that it's offensive. Oh. Yeah, like I felt like I was being disrespectful to the Spanish culture and people who speak Spanish because here I am like murdering the shit, trying to act like I know what the hell I'm doing because I've taken four years. You know what I mean? So it felt inauthentic. And I was just like, well, it's, I don't know. Like you were I so much more evolved. On. Yeah, like you were so much more evolved at a young age than most humans are. Because my shit, <laughs> like, I'm like, sorry. In Spanish class, you were worried about cultural appropriation and how you were, like, butchering the language. I was. I, like, I felt bad about it. I really <laughs> felt bad. I think that could be relevant now with the conversations that we have about cultural competency and honoring other people's experiences. And because all lives matter, black and brown lives matter. I think that that would be a more relevant kind of, like, a, a awareness to have now that it would have been 20 years ago or 30 years ago. That's the part well, where I'm just like, as Serena can tell you, this is not my first life. I'm on like nine or 10. Okay. So maybe that's why, but I think it's really, I know because she and I were looking at like, you knew that when well, <laughs> it was high school. Sorry. I'm not apologizing for that shit. Don't apo- I'm not asking you to apologize. I'm just <laughs> like, I'm down. We're like, right. Sarah, I'm like, wow. Because I'm thinking of like last week when I couldn't get my, <laughs> couldn't get my awareness to that. What I will say is, and Matt will attest to this, people look at me and they think that I'm extroverted, but because of what my job is, and I don't have a problem showing up here because this is a safe space. But if I go into a whole new space where I don't know anybody, before I choose who I'm going to engage with, I'll be like, who are my safe people? Who is in it? And then I will engage with those people. And so maybe that's the difference is, I'm not going in. You're an actual extrovert. So you're going in and you're like, boom, like you can handle that space. And me, I'm going to sit on the wall and walk around and watch for 30 mm-hmm. minutes, find who my safe people are. Then I will engage authentically with that, those people. Mm-hmm. Does that make more sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's my question, Sarah. Did you grow up with a solid sense of belonging? Because I always felt like an outsider. So oh my God. there wasn't really necessarily a safe group for me to find in that busy yes. room. I'm with Serena. Because I always felt like the weirdo. Mm-hmm. I always felt like there was something wrong with me. That I couldn't be like, I didn't have it in me to fit in or I didn't have it in. I always felt like I was an outsider. Always. I think maybe because I was the one of, so my cousins lived next door and I was the oldest of the cousins. And so all I had older than me was my older brother. And he was a complete jerk and wouldn't have anything to do with me or us. Like he just completely segregated himself. So I was always the oldest in that and the mama. Like I was the mama bear and I took care of everybody and very maternal. And so I think that played into that because if there was older, then I probably would have felt 
like I didn't belong or like I got to keep up or I got to be cool for them to like me. But because in that dynamic, I was the oldest and was helping to take care of and nurture, I felt like I belonged there. Yeah, I think that has a huge impact because you have a place. Mm -hmm. And you're the cool one that everyone wants the approval of and to be like and everything else in that dynamic. In that dynamic. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that as the dynamic shifts, because right, because now we do have more, we have more public personas and people are like, oh my God, it's, you're one of the girls who do, like people, and I am literally like, you could knock me over with a feather in some of the the conversations that I've had with people like, oh my God, I want, I'm so excited to meet you. I've been listening Mm -hmm. to your show. And I'm like, me? Right. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like it, it never crosses my mind. That's a thing for other people. Well, about me, because I'm the weirdo outsider that nobody never fit in anywhere. Mm -hmm. We had a guest come on two weeks ago, I think, or two times ago. And that's what she said. She said she's never felt like she belongs. Mm -hmm. And she is a hugely successful business Mm -hmm. owner. Her entire business community is based on creating communities. And so she is the one. And she's even in those, even on her board. She doesn't feel like she belongs. Right. And that's and it's a very interesting parallel because I think that and we were talking about being the planner right in the friend group. Who's the planner? Who's that? Like when you feel like the outsider, of course, you want to be the planner because then you're guaranteeing that that community is going to happen and you're invited. So Mm -hmm. you're always and it and at the same time, it feels isolating and lonely because you have to be the one to do. You know what I mean? Because it falls on you. The time when I so maybe and. The time when I did feel like the outsider, and Serena's familiar with this story because of how, this is how we met, is when I was in college. I always felt like the outsider in college. So that's for me when I had that shakeup. Mm-hmm. And all of my, I was the only one to go to a different school. Like all of my friends went to one school and I, I was the outsider of that. And then my college relationship, I always felt like I didn't belong mm-hmm. because I was constantly being rejected by his family members. And so that feel like that is when I all of my self worth was completely stripped away from me, and I had to rebuild mm-hmm. from the ground mm-hmm. up. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Serena, for you, how did you like? Because so then people that are listening are like, "Oh my gosh, that's me." I felt like I haven't belonged. How do they? How do you bridge that from? I feel like I don't belong to I belong to myself. Ooh. So I'm going to say the first thing is to resist the temptation to build your own table. I was talking about, I'm looking for a seat at the table. And then when I couldn't figure out that part, because I felt like an outsider, I started building my own table, but then I'd be afraid to invite people to bring their own chairs. So I'd just be sitting at this table by myself. And so that doesn't, trying to go it alone is not the right way either. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the more real you can get with yourself about how weird you are or about how you feel or all these different things, particularly the stuff that you don't want anyone else to know about the the shame stuff. Mm-hmm. If you can just get really raw and real about what it is, and it doesn't mean that you have to change it, you don't have to do anything, you just have to acknowledge that it's there. I think that's the first step to actually just accepting yourself as you are. Mm-hmm. Like exactly right now, not when you're richer, not when you're thinner, right. not when you've got a PhD, like none of that matters. Like right now, as you are completely worthy, but we can't actually claim that worthiness for ourselves until we're willing to look at the good, the bad, the ugly and say, yeah, that's all me. Mm-hmm. And the tool that I use for that the most in therapy, actually, every time I have a revelation that's shitty about something about myself, I'll say it and then I'll go, huh, isn't that curious? <laughs> 
And just being able to approach it from this place of, oh, I want, like, I wonder why I do that. Or I wonder mm-hmm. where that came from rather than I am the worst person alive. Right. Rather than shaming yourself. You. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mine usually involves some weird kind of facial expression where I'm just like. That's a shame facial expression. It's now. not a shame. It's just my like. <laughs> and there's that. But now I have to unpack that. And it's, we'll get to it eventually. It's that head hanging like acknowledgement. Like, yes. Ugh. It's more <laughs> just, oh, Yeah. <laughs> Like you think you're self-aware and then the universe is, fuck you, you're not aware. This giant thing. Like I had an epiphany in December that answered the question that I sat down with in my first shamanic ceremony in 2008. Wow. It took 12 years to get an answer. (laughs) And I was like, okay, that is an uncomfortable truth. I've got some work to do on this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There it is. It's that the, "Mm, that's uncomfortable. That's an uncomfortable truth. I like that. I love that. Oh. I'm I like, love that. Joe, can you type that in the comments for us? This is going to be the one where we talk about uncomfortable truths. That's the title of the episode. <sighs> love it. You're so welcome. do you mind, are, do you, are you okay <laughs> with sharing what that uncomfortable truth was from the, you said 2008 to, yeah. Do you mind sharing that? I started having like body issues in my early twenties. No coincidence that it was around the time all that other stuff was happening that we talked about earlier. And I started to put on a lot of weight and I had this programming that I'd heard from society about this is this is what's healthy, this is what's not healthy. And I know that like also a whole lot of that is bullshit and that's not really the conversation. <clears throat> but I had this awareness of if I stay on this track, I could end up in this really dangerous place of my health. Mm-hmm. And I don't care. I'm not doing anything about it. Why not? And so I sat, and when I say I sat in shamanic ceremonies, I'm talking like, working with plant medicine, which blows you open, accesses different layers of consciousness. It's mm-hmm. hallucinogenic. Like it is like crazy experiences. I worked with that We're for ta- five like years. Like sweat lodge type stuff? Ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Not, yeah. Not like sweat lodge, like different than sweat yeah. lodge because sweat lodge is like, it's still you in the heat. Whereas this is like something that you're ingesting to mm-hmm. have these different states of consciousness. It was like, you need to cultivate more self-love. You need to this, you need to that. But it wasn't the actual truth. And then in therapy in December, I had this session where, because I'm working on embodiment and being in my body instead of checking out, which is my go-to right now. Yes. And and she said, she brought me back to this moment where it was like an almost sexual assault. Mm. And the thing that the guy said to me was that I could fuck you right now if I wanted to. So not only was there the fear and the terror of that moment, but also the rejection because he didn't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's so wrong with me that he didn't? You know, like, this is how messed my head was. Wow. Yeah. And so, that's- do you want to talk about it? I'm like, I guess. <laughs> You're like, mm, and then that's an uncomfortable truth, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. And it was like, I got goosebumps because it was like, it was really hard to see. And also like the recognition that I, I did not feel safe in this body. Mm-hmm. So the whole point was to basically make me as repulsive. I use air quotes because I'm not, mm-hmm. but in this way that I would be undesirable so that I could be safe. And, that yes. never and that's again. a very yes. natural, that's, <gasps> women talk about that all the time. Men too, that there's when there's sexual trauma that they try to make themselves unattractive with mm-hmm. what they I mean, wear, what they're not caring about their body, their image, their smell, their. That was so like, I feel like, we, like I wish people could just rewind. And hear that again. We'll be able to because this is <laughs> live on Facebook, so and the show will come out. Good. The episode <gasps> will air on March twenty third, and you will be able to hear it all cleaned up at that point. That's really good. Okay, because that is something that I'm working on too. I've never felt safe in my body. I grew up 
being sexually objectified and not feeling safe and having very close calls. Mm -hmm. And I used to swear that I was assaulted in a past life or something because I was like, this is so entrenched in me that it has to be connected to that. And so I do the same thing as I just disconnect and I'm trying to be one and, and become one with my body and embody it. So how did you do that? What are your tips for people listening in for myself for that journey? I'm not, I'm not there yet. Oh, damn it, Serena. Like, <laughs> the epiphany was like two months ago. Come on, cut me some slack. <laughs> but I think so to bring it back to anger a little bit, one of the reasons I would check out because if it felt uncomfortable, whatever that was, whatever that feeling was, then I didn't want to be there. And mm-hmm. so I would remove myself. And the willingness to be in the discomfort is part of how I stay in my body, which is probably not the most positive way. And there's probably better tools. I'm learning them myself still. Mm -hmm. But being willing to just be like, this feels gross and I'm going to sit here. Mm -hmm. Not to torture yourself, but to honor what you're actually feeling instead of denying it. It's not happening. Yep. That it's just an emotion, that it doesn't have power over you, that you can sit there with it and not feel shame and not feel, not apply a validating qualifying thing Mm -hmm. to it, that it's good or bad because feelings are neither good. And it reminds me of an activity that I have my coaching clients do called sit in your shit. And I literally just have Mm -hmm. them write their shit out on every like thing out on one piece of paper. And then they just put them around and they have to sit in it and literally just look at all and just because it creates yes it creates oh my god (laughs) but the breakthroughs that come from that are huge like i want to vomit just thinking about that (laughs) which means that would be a wonderful therapeutic activity for you just saying (laughs) but that's what you're talking about serena you're saying like i'm sitting in that discomfort i'm sitting in my shit in the shit yeah i'm sitting in my shit the thing that's really cool about that too though is that it's honoring exactly what is instead of trying to make it something else. So everyone I know, especially in spiritual spaces, goes, oh, I'm really angry right now. What am I trying to, what's the lesson here? What am I going to mm-hmm. get from this? And it's always trying to put a positive spin on a crappy situation. But if you can just be in it and let it be yeah. crappy, uncomfortable, hard, tears, snot, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And then after you've done the work of moving it because you've released it, you've cried it out, you've set it on fire, you've gone for a jog, like whatever it is. Then you can sit back and reflect and say, okay, cool. That was really awful. What can I get from it? It's just a form of a deflection rather Mm -hmm. than allowing it. You have to let yourself drown in it in order to be able to release it first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. But it's constructive deflection. It looks Mm -hmm. like you're doing inner work. And you're like, oh, how enlightened am I? And you're like, you're not at all. (laughs) Oh, that's such a good point too. (laughs) Such a good point. Yeah. And it's that whole culture of trying to having to, what is it called? I can't remember the name. Where you have to be positive all the time. And it's, Mm -hmm. we call it empathy misses. And so when something. I mean, we call it Stepford. Lives. Well, well, it's one, it's one of the empathy misses, right? There's six yeah, it's, ways it's that we like miss the happiness. empathy. Yeah, yeah. And it's one, and that is one of those ways. And it really, it just becomes about the listener, right. and the listener is uncomfortable, and so mm-hmm. they'll try to be like, "Well, let's find the lesson. Let's you don't find have the to be shiny, line. happy people all the time, right?" When actually, empathy is simply sitting and joining. Yep. And that's what you're talking yep. about. Is you're saying mm-hmm. instead of deflecting, instead of trying to shift it too quickly. I'm just going to join it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to join with it. And I always give the example of the movie with um, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robin Williams of what dreams may come way mm-hmm. old back in the day movie. Mm-hmm. But the only way that he's able to save his wife from depression and suicide is he joins her in her darkness and just sits there. 
He doesn't try to fix her. He doesn't try to make it all. Like, he tried all of that, and it didn't work. Right. But the second mm-hmm. he just joined her and just sat there, mm-hmm. then that's when she was like, okay. And this goes back to, oh, shit, I'm on fire right now. Y'all, downloads are happening. It goes back to belonging. Because then she was mm-hmm. like, I feel like I belong. He's not trying to fix me. He's not trying to change me. He's accepting me for who I am. I feel like I belong now. And that belongingness mm-hmm. is what then was like, okay, I can, I am worthy enough to come out of this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Shit, I no. actually lived that with anxiety. I had a year of debilitating anxiety where I was in bed. I had to leave my job. Like it was awful. And everyone really wanted to fix me, help me, do anything to make life easier. And I had one girlfriend who we'd make plans. Of course, I'd cancel because I was not in the state to actually right. do anything. And she'd say, I'm just going to come over. And she would just sit on the edge of my bed. Sometimes we wouldn't even talk. She'd just sit there. And I could be like no makeup. I could be slobby, snot all over my face, whatever. It didn't matter. There was no judgment. I didn't have to be anything else. And she'd oh, just what sit a there good friend. Mm-hmm. What a great friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the willingness to do the work for myself was important. But the discomfort that must have been for her was amazing to just mm-hmm. be able to be yeah, I'm, I'm going to sit here with you. And it sucks. Yep. But yeah. But you're not alone. Exactly. Yep. Yes, this mm-hmm. sucks. There's nothing I can say that's going to make this right. better. It fucking sucks. I'm going to sit here with you in the suckage. And it's going to be, and it's so yep. much more empowering to say, I don't know. And yep, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's your experience right now. And I, I can't say anything to fix it. Mm-hmm. There's yep. huge power in that. Yep. Love it. Um, and if you bring snacks, even better. Yes, <laughs> girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Thank you to Serena for joining us today. Sacredangerbook.com. And Serena is spelled S E R Y N A. And Myers is M Y E R S. We want to thank you so much for um, being here today. Connect with us at girlswhodostuff.com. Subscribe to our email list for fun announcements and leave us a review. It helps other people find our stuff. We would be so grateful to you for taking those actions so we can get this out into the world and change more lives. I am Jenny Midgley. I am Sarah Madras. And And you do you, boo. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing to this podcast and follow us on social media. 